0: Hello adventurers, are you looking for an actual play with excitement, humor, narrative, lore and character development without all the sidebar and pop culture goofs? Look no further than Lawful Great Adventures. What makes Lawful Great Adventures so great? Our goal is to stay in character for the duration of the episode as much as possible, without a bunch of sidebar, without a bunch of talking about stats, and deliver you a story worth listening to through the eyes of our four characters, Theo, Finn, Fane, and Warren, as they journey across a hostile world trying to get home. We are hosted on Anchor. Check us out on Twitter at Great underscore Lawful, Facebook, Lawful Great Adventures, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thank you. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore, in Chapter 16, the scouting party bids farewell to Oria Santonier after leaving the Kingswood and finding the South Road. They complete the final two days of travel along the road, tired and hungry, but unmolested. Once back in Burke, they make straight for the Armory, where Tor and Thurn debrief with Sheriff Marlock, and the rest of the party finally gets a hot meal. When Tor and the others join the party in the mess hall, they're accompanied by a stranger, a noble given his appearance. He says the one word that Eridine was hoping not to hear again for a long, long time. He says her name. Chapter 17 Part 1 Day 23 Late Afternoon Party Status All party members are at maximum hit points. Umura has memorized Hold Portal and Charm Person Girios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds All the color drained from Aridine's face as she turned toward the man who had addressed her. She knew who it was that stood behind her. There could be no doubt. Ah, Yes. There it is. There's
1: the face I've been looking for," said the man. "And what a face it is. The face of an angel, one might say. Well, I am most pleased to see it again."
0: Dramatis Personae: Eredin The rain came steadily down, pattering on the tombstones and thudding into the soft, grassy earth. Here and there, mounds bulged like overripe fruit. Eridine had stopped trying to read the inscriptions on the canted tablets. They were much too faded. She'd been at the churchyard for over an hour. She didn't mind waiting, and she didn't mind the rain. She could put up with just about anything, as long as he was there with her. Swin leaned easily against a monument. He too seemed mindless of the rain, which plastered his blonde hair to his scalp, ran down over his pointed chin with its little scar, and soaked his green cloak. He was in the middle of telling her a very amusing story about one of his men and the daughter of a gem merchant in Silmoral. And so it was to conclude with a duel. Only the funny thing was that Hygrin would have to fight with a halberd because, ah, our appointment is at hand. Remind me to finish this story another time, my sweeting. Eridine loved it when he called her that. Who is she kidding? He could have called her anything under the sun, and she would have received it as pure music. She followed her lover's gaze and saw a figure at a distance and approaching through the rain. To the right were the ruins of an old church of Sadal, the god of the sun. Eredin didn't know it at the time, but this was the same god that went by the name Mazagar in Camranth, and who she would learn so much about in the future. Each kingdom prayed to essentially the same gods, but they called them by different names, and sometimes they took different forms. The crumbled walls of the church traced a knee-high perimeter of what was once a full dome. Little remained now. The place was centuries old, and its contents had long ago been plundered by robbers. Even its shell had been partially reclaimed by nature. When she and her man had arrived, the rain had already been falling for a half-hour, Swin had pointed out the remains of the altar, bare but for the sun symbol carved into the top and worn away almost to the point of disappearing. He joked that the god must be taking a break today. Swin had chosen this spot for its isolation and for the commanding view it offered over the surrounding landscape. Elevated as it was, one could see the Brentwood to the west, the town of Brannan roughly to the north, hills to the east, and the crossroads splitting the south road, which apparently went all the way to the foothills of the Windless Rise. Bairdine had never been that far south, though she hoped, one day, she would. The figure was closer now. He'd come alone as they had agreed. Swind's long form still leaned casually against the monument. His arms were crossed over his chest, and he whistled tunelessly as they waited. The lone figure finally reached them. He was tall and wore a fine hooded cloak against the rain. He had a salt and pepper beard, very neatly groomed, and dark eyes that glowered at Swin. The younger man slowly detached himself from where he'd waited and stretched, cat like. You're late, friend, and it's rude to leave a lady waiting, said Swin, indicating Aradine without looking at her. Spare me your talk, Master Swin, replied the other man. His accent clearly indicated him as a noble from the north.
1: Yes, I know who you are. That little scar on your chin has become
0: quite infamous in Brannon. Swin was not bothered. He smiled widely and replied, Good. Tell everyone about me, do. Blowing my own horn all the time is hard work. He pouted girlishly, and Eredin held back a giggle.
1: As much as I enjoy your company, drawled the man sarcastically, let us conclude this business. You said my brother would be here
0: but I do not see him. What of that? Your brother's here, said Swin. He's close. You he brought the coin? You also, continued the man, letting irritation carry his voice a little louder, said that you would meet me alone, and yet... He motioned to Aridine, and a little thrill jumped across her heart. She hadn't noticed before how fast it was beating. If she were being honest with herself, she was enjoying every second of this exchange. The danger made her feel alive. "'You may call me a thief, I'll grant you that, and let no man say otherwise,' responded Swin. "'But I'm no liar. I said I would leave my men behind, and so I have. "'I'm sure your little prick withered up and fell off many years ago, Magary, "'but even you can still recognize a beautiful woman when you see one, can't you?' "'You smug little worm.' said the man, his upper lip twitched as he talked. Let's have done here. I've had enough of you. He produced a small box from within his cloak and opened the lid. The shine of the gold inside glowed even under the grey of the sky. It's all there. You don't mean to count it now, do you? I trust you, said Swinton, smirking. Everdeen, relieve this man of his burden. The nobleman offered it to her, but released his grip reluctantly, and she saw that he took a moment to study her face before he let go. His eyes scanned her as though he were making an effort to memorize her features, which, of course, he was. Once Eridine had the chest in her hands, she backed away to stand beside her man. Swin pointed to a spot among some tombstones and beyond the church ruins. You'll find your brother just over there. Realization dawned in the other man's face. "'You've killed him, haven't you?' His tone suggested that he had suspected this turn of events. Swin sighed heavily. "'As we've established, my lord, I do not lie, "'and I can see that your powers of perception have finally returned to you, "'so, yes, unfortunately, I am returning him to you "'in a condition somewhat worse than the one in which I found him, "'but that cannot be helped. "'He tried to escape, you see, "'and my man, High had to put an arrow in him.' I'm sure you can appreciate what a difficult position he was put into. As he spoke, Swin moved his cloak aside to reveal the hilt of his sword. But a deal's a deal. I have your gold and you have your brother. We shall wish you a good day now, unless there's anything else to discuss? By the way, you'll want to get going soon. It won't be easy to get him home in his current state, and this spot is rather popular with wolves at night not to mention men of poor character and desperate means, if you know what I mean. Sadal, go with you. Say goodbye to the man, Aridine. Aridine flashed her biggest smile and wiggled her fingers in a coquettish wave. All the best, my lord. She blew him a kiss before they turned and walked away in the direction of the Brentwood. Welcome to DiceGeeks.com, tabletop RPG show. Level up your RPG campaigns by filling yourself with stories and knowledge. Explore topics from archaeology to film history to writing to literature and much, much more. This is DiceGeeks.com, tabletop RPG show.
1: New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Chapter 17. Part 2. Day 23. Late Afternoon. Party Status. All party members are at maximum hit points. Umura has memorized Hold Portal and Charm Person. Girios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds. A very difficult hour, perhaps the most difficult of his career, followed for Sheriff Marlock. He could not recall having to deal with so many sensitive and complex issues at the same time before. He recalled a juggler he would once seen at a fair in Silmoral. The juggler had drawn a decent crowd by juggling knives instead of the usual colored balls. One mistake could have cost him dearly. That's how Marlock felt now. A foul up with any aspect of this predicament could be a disaster. First and most obviously, there was the situation with the woman who had gone by the name Sheris. Her reaction to meeting Maynard had left nothing further to be discovered. Her expression had said it all. There could be no doubt that she was Aridine of Rayford. She hadn't even denied it after her initial shock had worn off. She also did not deny being complicit in, and monetarily benefiting from, the kidnapping and murder of Maynard's brother, Orgard. So, where Aradine was concerned at least, there was a kind of simplicity, for the laws of Camertine were very clear in this case. Kidnappers, accessories to murder and murderers, were hanged. Period. The only question was whether to hang her here, or to send her back to Brannan in the custody of Megari and his mercenaries, so they could make a spectacle of the event. As the aggrieved party, and as a noble, that was his right. One thing that did complicate the matter was that tor had made a report and in it he had cast her as a hero their mission had been largely successful although it had come at a price marlock would need to visit the families of the two fallen men he would visit the church and begin with the arrangements for a pair of military memorial services on the morrow thern had agreed that kagan umura and girios had all acted with honor throughout the mission as ordered Tor had feigned sleep for a portion of every night to watch for any sign of duplicity or betrayal. The captain reported that he was completely satisfied that they were on the level, and had been deeply shaken when he met Maynard and learned what was to become of the young archer. Tor did not fail to mention that it was her expertly placed arrow that was responsible for the salvation of the dwarf, Molgi. Thurn and Harl had been likewise appalled. Speaking of the dwarves, they apparently had a situation of their own to deal with. Some ten days ago, only a few days after they had departed for the Kingswood, a bird had arrived from the High Forge bearing an order. The dwarves were to return as soon as their business was completed in Berk. The note did not contain any specifics, but it did stipulate that they tarry no longer than absolutely necessary, even to the point of traveling at night. The two dwarves were unperturbed. They might have been aware of some growing concern at home, or, just as likely, their innate dwarven stoicism masked inner turmoil. Marlock then thought about the problems besetting his own community. There was something happening at Lord Skelling's manor. Two of Skelling's servant boys had disappeared, and there had been several complaints regarding disturbing noises coming from the place. He could not ignore that problem, but the Eredin problem was more immediate. He briefly wished that he had never looked into the matter. Life would have been simpler. Damn his intuition. Eredin's companions were the final piece of the puzzle. Were they complicit? He had to admit that they did not seem especially shocked to learn her true name. Was that enough to condemn them? No. He had to figure out if they had always known who she was and helped to obscure her identity. If they had, they were guilty of a crime. Yet, according to Tor, these four should be receiving a hero's welcome. Tor further insisted that he would be a fool not to hire on Kagan to the guard. Well, that wasn't going to happen. His decision about these four had been made. He would keep it simple. He would let them keep a share of the treasure found in the caves after removing applicable taxes. In payment for their services, he would offer a choice between coin and letting them keep their borrowed equipment. The latter would keep his treasury in a healthier state, for he always had a surplus of equipment and a shortage of coin. They would not be allowed to bear the oak and shield insignia on their equipment, however. That would be removed or painted over. Finally, he would ask them to leave Burke and never return. It wouldn't be a formal exile but he would impress upon them that they would be made to feel most unwelcome if they ever decided to return all of these thoughts sorted themselves out in his mind with marlock's trademark efficiency as the scene unfolded in the mess hall peace peace be at peace he commanded motioning for everyone to keep their seats riley kagan and magari's three mercenaries had been rising the latter reaching for weapon hilts. we'll have no trouble in here tor get the irons, he continued. At first, Tor hesitated, but a single raised eyebrow from Marlock reminded him of his station, and he left to fetch the item. Although short of stature, Marlock's aura of authority could not be ignored. In Burke we respect the law of Camertine, he said. Body sank back into chairs. And justice will be satisfied, he concluded without flourish. They waited, and Tor returned with the chains. He wore an expression of doubt as he approached her, and then apology as he took Aradine by the elbow and led her from the room. My lord, said Marlock, turning to Megari, the prisoner will spend the night in a cell. Come morning you may take her with you to face justice in Brennan. I will provide the necessary papers if you so desire. Otherwise we can deliver justice here. The choice is yours to make. The look of triumph on Maynard's face was replaced with a small and sour smile as Eredin was led away. True,
1: I had intended to bring her home and let my brother's wife and son witness her death, but now I wonder, much might happen on the road
0: home to impede such justice. He cocked his head to one side, and then the other, clucking his tongue as he weighed his options. Hmm. Finally, he nodded to himself and declared, Let's be done with it. Hang her here. Between the Lines We won't see it until the next chapter, but Harl is about to do something that will forever bind him to our core group of adventurers. If I'm being honest, ever since Soli fell in battle, there's been a dwarf-shaped hole among my PC group. Today, Harl will make the transition from NPC to PC, and for that reason, we need to roll up his character. I'll grab some six-sided dice and we'll get started. Okay, we're going to start with a blank slate and completely re-roll Harl's attributes from the beginning. Like all other player characters, if his prime requisite falls below 13, we'll re-roll it. And if any score falls below 5, we'll re-roll that, too. Otherwise, we take the dice as they come. And here we go with our first attribute, strength. The roll. The roll is a 15. That's a great start. Next is intelligence. I've got an 11. Wisdom is up next. A 13. That roll will give Harl a plus one bonus to saving throws versus magic. Next up is Dexterity. I've got a seven. Harl is gonna take a penalty here with his armor class. He'll also suffer a penalty if he uses missile weapons. Next up is Constitution. I've got a 10, nothing special there. Harl's charisma. A 14. That score will give him a plus one on reaction rolls. Finally, although I've considered dropping the attribute, we've got luck. I'll roll it anyway. Better to have it and not need it, as they say. The roll. It's an eight. Unlike other characters, Harald does have starting equipment. I'll put a list in the character sheet and post it on taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com, but I'll just mention the important stuff for now. Harl has a very expensive suit of plate mail and a battle axe. The axe is two handed, so he can't use a shield. Normally, his AC would be a 3 with armor that good. However, his dexterity modifier imposes a penalty on him, so his adjusted AC is a 4. Remember that I use descending AC. In Tale of the Manticore, PCs start with their maximum possible hit points. Harl will enjoy a little boost because of that, taking his current 5 points up to an 8. We're almost done, but there's still one more thing. Because he's been with the party for some time, he's going to get credit for the episodes he's survived so far. Let's see. Harl joined us in episode 10, so he'll reach level 2 fairly soon. He'll be reaching level 2 after he completes episode 19. Welcome to the team, Harl. Glad to have you on board. But wait, we're not quite done. We still have one other character to deal with just as I've been tracking Harl's progress towards level two, the same is true for our antagonist, Raffenfell, who we met back in episode five. That's right, NPCs don't live in a vacuum in Tale of the Manticore, they improve in the same way that PCs do. Raffenfell was level three when first introduced, and he needs to survive 12 chapters to reach level four. That means he levels up today. Let's see how he's been spending his time and how his power will increase. For this, we'll need to consult the Expert rulebook. To hit and saving throw abilities, unfortunately for him, stay the same. For spells, he'll gain one more of second level. I'd been thinking about how this character would be spending his time and which spell he would be trying to learn. I could roll randomly, but it makes more sense for this character to research a spell. The expert rules say it costs 1,000 gold pieces per level and two weeks per spell level to research a spell. Without spoiling anything, Raffenfell now has access to that money. And the time is about halfway through. In two more weeks, he'll have the spell he's after. We'll get back to that if the dice will it. Lastly, we'll be making a couple of changes to Raffenfell's character sheet. He gets an extra die four of new hit points. He currently has a constitution penalty of minus one and a fairly pathetic maximum hit points of seven. Where more hit points are concerned, he could use every little bit, although it will almost certainly be just a little bit. Here's the roll. I've got a three. After the penalty is applied, Raffenfell moves up just two hit points to a maximum score of nine. I don't think he'll be changing his cautious nature anytime soon. Alright, there's one final thing to do for Raffinfell, and that's to roll to see if his attributes increase with his level gain. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this for NPCs, but after thinking about it for a while, I thought, over time, if I don't, the PCs could potentially really outstrip my NPCs in power, and I think I want to maintain that balance. Also, it's kind of fun to roll. Alright, the dice are ready. Let's roll to see if Raffinfell enjoys any stat increases for strength. A one. Intelligence. A six! Wow, Raffenfell's intelligence has gone up. Raffenfell's intelligence has just gone from a 16 to a 17. Now he's Umura's equal. I wonder if that means if he had a snakeskin book back, if he could actually understand it as she's done. We may never know. Let's go back to the dice. Next up is Wisdom, a one. Dexterity, a two, no increase there. Constitution, he could really, really use this. The roll is a two, no luck for him. Charisma, a six, wow. He goes from a 14 to a 15. Not much difference in terms of actual gameplay, but interesting. Perhaps coming out of that laboratory and actually living among people has done him some good. I don't roll for a luck bonus, and so that brings us to the end. But two stat bonuses is fantastic. Raffenfell is one lucky bad guy. Well, that brings us to the end of our level ups. Please join me next time when we'll find out exactly what it is that Harl is about to do, and what fate will ultimately befall Eridine. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to share one of these reviews with you right now. Here's another one from the USA. Bob Barker writes, and that's a really great name by the way, I had to binge all eight episodes, current number at the time of this review, from the moment I started listening. If you're looking for something completely different, but still a dark fantasy TTRPG experience, check it out. Solo storytelling with D&D OG rules. Phenomenal. A giant thank you to you, Bob Barker. Comments like these are hugely encouraging and make me want to do a better job. I'll be sure to post yet another one of these great reviews next time. The voice of Maiden Magari you may well recognize. It was supplied by Che Webster of The Essential Roleplay Rescue. Che, thank you so much for being a part of my show. For rants, musings, show notes, and occasional maps, character sheets, tables, and other items related to the show, please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure continues in the next chapter of Tale of the Manticore. The story where chaos rules.
1: Join our adventurers as they discover how strange portals alter Reveline. Do you hear that, Amsley? Our Lord Paylor blesses us. I didn't realize you worshipped a salesman. Actually, Marion, I'm pretty sure this is a dad. Rolling on Fate is an actual play D&D podcast. d and I love death caps and dish rags. No truth. What's a podcast? It is an interdimensional sonic communication feed, vanilla. Very simple. Nortrud, are you indicating that we're in treble? <laughs> <laughs> Bellius, did you hear that? I actually had a good one, Bellius. You can find Rolling on Fate every other Wednesday wherever you download podcasts. You mean podcasts? Taylor, a- anyone? I can't see. I I think I'm stuck in one of those podcasts. Rolling on Fate. Come see where the dice take us.